Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Living Savior Church today. Praise the King. Good to have every one of you here today on this beautiful day that the Lord has made just for us. All the precious rain He sent out there, praise the Lord. Boy, do we ever need that. We do need the rain, but He's been sending it, and we're praising Him, thanking Him, and hoping He'll fill up all these lakes. I mean, praise the King. Yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, we had a great healing school yesterday. We had more people at the healing school than we got in church today. Yeah, yesterday yesterday when it was icy and bad, I got tickled at one of the ladies that she she and her dad was on the way from uh, Odessa. She said, I'm driving and this ice and everything. I thought, now I wonder if we get there, he's going to be there. Then she said, I got to thinking, after listening to this guy's tapes, he's going to be there. So there ain't nothing can keep him back. And she was right. She walked in and I was here. And then, of course, uh, we had another couple with their three children, grown children, that got up at 4 o'clock yesterday morning and drove from Lubbock. And then we had two ladies that come from Baltimore. Then we had people from uh, Texarkana. We had people from all over. I mean, if people could drive from Little Rock, Arkansas, Texarkana, Lubbock, to New Mexico, Oklahoma, and everywhere else to come to the East Coast, surely I can get here. You know, I live here. You know, so there's nothing keeps me back. You know, nothing. You know, so I think, like I told him yesterday, I said, I work for the airline. The Lord prepared me every way in the world. And I might be able to take a day off when the weather's nice. But whenever the everything goes wrong, and it's snowing and icing and everything else... That's when I had to be there. You know, if anything's going to go wrong with equipment or trucks or whatever or airplanes, it's on them bad days. So that's the day you've got to be there. You know, don't be here. If you have to crawl in, you have to be there. And I'd always think about, you know, why is it everybody else is downstairs when it's nice and they've got a major problem with a huge furnace that's on the roof that don't work and the beast is outside and I'm up there at 10 below zero or 20 below zero trying to help somebody figure out why this thing didn't work. Then one year I had to go to Minneapolis and put in, let's see, it was four big dual ice machines we were installing up there. And the guys couldn't figure out how they were going to set the condensers on the roof. It was 35 below zero. <clears throat> they said, you can't even weld outside in that. <clears throat> I said, okay, so we get us a platform. And we build it, and we mount all the condensers, and we pipe it, and we wire it, and we do everything, and we put the pipes on it long enough so when we go up here and cut the hole in the roof and set it on the roof, we set it where the hole is, where the pipes come down through and the wires come down through, and then we seal the hole, and we come down the inside and pipe it all in. That's why they have to have engineers. <laughs> you got to figure out a way to make it work. I did tell the GM up there that year, I said, you know, Instead of needing ice machines, why don't you just take somebody with a five-gallon bucket and get on the roof and throw it off, and by the time you get to the bottom, it's going to be froze. <laughs> 35 below zero. I'm telling you, if there was ever a reason why I didn't live in Minneapolis, that little hitch of a few years of working up there. In fact, the first time I, they give me Minneapolis as my part of my region, it was in May. And so I dressed basically like I am now, except I had a short sleeve shirt on. You know, it's 90 degrees in May in Texas. So I did take a sport coat, you know, and I wore a pair of slacks, and I went up there for the first time in May, about the middle, 
And I got off the airplane, and in the parking lot, there was snow drifts four, five, and six feet deep, and it was still down in the upper 20s. And I thought, where did I get off the airplane? You know, what is this place? What is this place? I mean, Lord, what have you done to me? I mean, you know, it's already 80, 90 degrees in Texas in May. And so then the other day, of course, uh, the pastor from Canada called me, and we wanted to talk to me. We're going up there here shortly. And the last weekend, I think it is in February or something, whatever it is, we're going. And uh, I said, Brother, by the way, how's the weather up there today? He said, well, it's pretty cold today. I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, it's not too bad, but it's pretty frigid. I said, well, what is the temperature? He said, it's only 40 below zero today. <laughs> but he said, when y'all get here, I said, wow, we're coming next month. I said, what's the temperature going to be like? Oh, he said, it'll be nice when y'all get here. I said, what's nice? He said, it'll only be about 20 below when y'all get here. <laughs> oh, lad. For a Texan, 20 below, that's not nice, is it, Tom? No, 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 20 below. Oh, Lord. So if y'all ever ever even considered about praying for your ministry team, y'all need to pray for us. <laughs> when we go to Canada, wow. But we're going also to Michigan shortly. And, you know, it's going to be cold up there, too. So I don't know why the Lord's given us all these cold deals. You know, last year He gave us uh, uh, Germany in the early spring, and uh, we happened to get over there, and they only had four foot of snow when we got there. And while we were there, in the nine days we were there, had four foot more. So you know, we had to dig out every morning, every morning, and uh, uh, it was something. You know, to see all that snow, you know, I saw more snow there than I've ever seen in Texas my whole life, you know. So, But anyway, those are things we have to endure for the Lord. So it makes no difference here, a little tiny rain like this today or a little bit of cold weather. This is a piece of cake. How would you like to get up this morning in Canada and you're going to go to church and it's 40 below zero? You know, I think what Texans would do, we would stay at home. I know what we would do. You know, we're not tough. We are not tough. But anyway, praise the Lord. Uh, I guess I might ask, anybody have a testimony they want to give today? There's just a few here, but hey, praise God. Susan, we got one. Come up here, girl. We've got a microphone right here. We'll let you tell us what Jesus has done for you. Well, yesterday I was at the healing school, and um, I had a lower back pain, and I've been experiencing it for several weeks. And it would get particularly bad after sitting um, working at a desk, and um, the Sermon prayed for me, and instantly I was healed. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> thank I, you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I felt this rippling in my back, and I felt like waves of water. It was like a rippling feeling. Amen. And I was talking to him about something else while it was happening. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I just expected it. So. Amen. Well, that's what the Praise king. Lord. That's it. I expected it, too. I don't know why, but I recently laid my hand on her back like that. I expected the king to do something great. I don't know what it is when people come to me with back problems. I just automatically know he's going to do it. I don't know why he's giving me that faith for back, but he has. My, my torso feels strong as an ox. I've been working out for many months. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Glory. I'm glad Jesus didn't stay home yesterday, aren't y'all? The king, did, do you have one to come up here, Deborah? Praise the Lord. Yeah, you got to give God some glory today, girl. Get up here and tell us what Jesus does yeah, for you. Yeah, I know. It, it just goes to show that how 
he's so interested in every detail of our life. And I was having some papers prepared that were legal papers, and they included some some figures and dates that had to be done. And so I'm assuming that the person's a professional and that there's no problem. So I'm about to sign them, and all of a sudden in the spirit it goes, you better check the dates on it because it was really critical. And I thought, okay, fine. I, sure enough, I checked them, and they were wrong. <laughs> so it would have created a huge problem. Yeah. So it's always nice to have that little voice say, I just you need to check this. And the, the beautiful part about it, when you're serving Him and loving Him, He talks to you. And when He talks to you in that spirit, when you hear that little thought, you've learned to pay attention to that voice, right? Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Yes, He's interested in everything we do, even to the minor things. The King loves us, and He wants to do good things for you, but He wants you to be tuned into Him. He wants you to be walking holy in His presence. Anybody else have another testimony? Well, we've had a couple of good... Okay, young lady, praise the Lord. Come up here and tell us what Jesus has done for you. My first testimony is the word is working mightily in me. Amen. And um, I've been interceding for a loved one in my family, and um, I've known this person like all my life, and I couldn't understand, you know, how they could be a Christian, but you know, you don't feel the love of God, and it's always arguing and bickering, and you know, and then you see them doing things that you know they're not supposed to be doing. And um, I just I was just in prayer the other day, and I was worshiping the King and just praying and praying. And all of a sudden, I was speaking in tongues, and then I got so violent in my spirit, and I just started rebuking the devil out of them. And I mean, I I was just I was rebuking them out of my my family uh, my family lineage. And I was telling the devil he has no authority in my family, that we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I was just proclaiming things that I've learned. And I just did it by faith. And um, I knew my daughter was in the room, and she probably was like, whoa, you know. (laughs) So, you know, the day went on, and um, I came, you know, to the healing school. And for some reason, um, the Holy Spirit just told me to call the person. So I called the person, and they, this is what they told me. They said, I don't know what happened to me yesterday. But I just thought they, they started throwing up, and they started uh, doing number two. And they, they, I'm telling you, they said they do not know what happened. And all I could do is say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but it just, it, it just encouraged me because... I could be in Texas, and the family number could be in New York City. And God heard my prayer. Amen. So I just want to thank God for His goodness. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, you can be in Dallas, Texas, and the family member can be in New York City, and God can hear, and He can move by the Spirit. And how many times have we seen God move in cases like that? And I've been somewhere here or somebody else has been somewhere else and somebody called on the phone and we have prayed for them and seen God many times instantly heal them over the telephone. So we know the king is there doing his thing. And it's so wonderful to know and love and serve this worshipful, mighty king that nothing's impossible if we can just believe his word. Wow. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? No more? Okay. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Word a little while. Let's talk about the Word. 
Let's see what the Lord has got for us over here. I want us to turn over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to start out today. 1 Corinthians 6. First Corinthians 6. You know, here a while back I had a couple that came to, for ministry. And uh, as I turned through the book of Matthew there, it reminded me when I, this couple came and they sat down and they had a problem with their son. And uh, as we talked, I asked them a question. I said, uh, do you all go to church and... The father said, yes, pretty regular. And uh, I didn't ask what kind of church. And I asked the mother if she went to church, and she said, well, yes, pretty regular. And I asked the young man if he goes to church, and he went to a little, not very often. I said, well, I think maybe we need to start out with some scripture. And uh, I said, sir, since you're the spiritual authority of the house, would you turn to the book of Matthew and let's go and see what kind of promises God made us. And uh, when he says, uh, where do I find the book of Matthew? Do you think that I'm in trouble? <laughs> yeah, they are. You know what that reminded me of? It reminds me of a gentleman that I used to work with that took exchange students from foreign countries. Now, see, we have no idea what the rest of the world does not have that we take for granted. But he got an exchange student, and I believe this Christian exchange student came from India. I believe that's where the young man came from. He agreed to take this young man into his home and maintain him while he was going to college here in America. And that's fantastic that people do that. But he was going to do that and, you know, he was going to provide a room and everything for this young man to go to college and where he wouldn't have to have all that expense. And so when he got here, he had an extra car and he thought, well, I'll let this young man use my car, my extra one. He says, can you drive? And he, the young man says, no, sir, I can't drive. He said, well, no problem. This Saturday morning we'll go out and I'll teach you how to drive. So, <clears throat> all of us have taught our children how to drive. You know, as they come up, and it wasn't a problem. Because they'd seen us drive. And they'd heard us speak about the different components in a car, so it's no problem. He said, I got out there and told the young man to get in the front seat and sat down. He said, now I told him, he says, now then put your foot on the brake and make sure it's in park and hit the starter. He said, sir, what's the brake? What is park and what is the starter? He said, I knew I was in big trouble. Well, that's kind of the way some of us do the Word of God. Just like this man that they came for help, and I told him to turn to the book of Matthew, and he didn't know where the book of Matthew was. That told me immediately that this man had not been in the Word of God at all. Now then, if you've not been in the Word of God at all, and you're going to try to teach people 
faith to get set free and healed, and they don't even know where the book of Matthew is, you've got your work cut out for you. You know that? you got your work cut out for you. Just like you, you go to train your children to drive. By the time you get, they get big enough to drive, they already know what the clutch is, the brake, the park, you know, the starter. They know what all that stuff is because they've heard you talk about it. It's not a big deal. You know, some of us as uh, people out on the farm, especially, you know, when my kids, they want to drive. I mean, whenever I'd pull on my road, I still got a half a mile from the time I pull off the county road. I'm on my own road. My kids want to get in my lap and drive. So I used to just let them jump up my lap and grab the steering wheel and turn the steering wheel. You know, they'd go in and they're learning how to drive. And, you know, you're talking about the brake and you're talking about driving. You're talking about all kinds of stuff all the time. And so they pick that all up. So when it gets time for them to learn how to drive, no big deal. No big deal. They got it. But if you start out with somebody in the Word and they don't know where it's at, then you're in big trouble. I've come to realize in the church... The only reason we have so little faith in the church is because we have so little knowledge of God's Word. You know, I mean, the average Christian I deal with on a day-by-day basis knows less than a half a dozen Scriptures. You know, I may ask them something, and just like yesterday, in a healing school of 40 people, I asked a question about where a verse was, and one man back there in the back had a little computer, and he found it real quick. But the rest of them, some of them knew the verse was in there, but nobody knew the address of where the verse was. Nobody. Well, that's the problem. We don't know these promises of God. And when we, we think we've heard about them, we've heard somebody else say something about them, but do we know for sure it's a reality of what they're talking about? Is it really real? Have you heard that? Well... Most people don't have a clue where it's found. You know, somebody will say, well, I'm standing on God's promise. I say, which one? Well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, that's just like when I look over there at Sharon and think about this is her anniversary of her third year anniversary of her miraculous healing from God. This precious woman of God sitting over there right there shaking her head. Three years ago, she was a basket case. I mean, everything. Brain tumors, arm wouldn't work, shoulder wouldn't work, allergies, back problem for years, everything else. And she walked up to me that day after the first healing school in January. It was the one just like yesterday, the first one in January, three years ago. And when she walked up, I said, "Uh, what's wrong with you, young lady? And she began to tell me. And she said, I want you to know I've been prayed for at least a hundred times in church and nothing has ever happened. I said, well, number one, you never repented of the sin that brought on the sickness. She didn't have a clue you had to repent of sin. Nobody ever told her that. So she repented of the sins that she committed years ago. I said, then what verse were you standing on to base your faith on? Well, we didn't have a verse. I said, well, you see what you got? Nothing. So I said, let's take a verse. So we found one. I said, then nobody's ever prayed for you in faith. I said, now then, I'm going to pray for you in faith after you repent. And after we stand on God's promises, and I'm going to pray for you in faith, and I'm going to guarantee you the King of the universe is going to heal you. And she repented. We got a verse. I prayed for her insurance, completely healed. Today, three years later, she has no problem. She worked for us at the ministry center. She's on fire. God answers her prayers. 
I mean, she gets, I mean, she is a woman of faith. Woman like very few I have the privilege to run into today. I can count all the women of faith on probably one hand that I know this is greater prayer warrior as Sharon is. You know, I could, she's, she's among a minority that I know. I know some women of faith, but you know, I mean, when I saw her here a while back, she came in here one day and says, Pastor, I went to the dentist this week, and they tell me I had my teeth cleaned, and they tell me I've got two teeth, need root canals and crowns. And she said, that devil's got all my money he's going to get. She said, I want you to pray for me in faith, and said, I'm going to believe with no doubt in my heart that when you pray for me, the two of us are going to agree, just like Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, and I'm not going to have any more trouble with my teeth. So, I prayed to pray for her. She went, and six or eight months later, she goes back to the dentist to have her teeth cleaned again. And she goes in, and the dentist said, well, are you ready for those crowns and those root canals? She said, no, that's not wrong with my teeth. I, we prayed. I take care of it. And uh, the, the dentist says, uh, uh, you know, well, that, no, crowns, you know, root canals, that don't go away. Wow. <clears throat> I see, that's how we think, right? But that's not the way Sharon thinks. She's already received too many things from God, and so the dentist said, well, let's check them. She said, no, I'm not going to pay for x-rays. I don't need them. They're all my teeth. And the dentist said, I'll pay for it. I want an x-ray. I want to see how your teeth have progressed since six, eight months ago, whatever it was. She said, okay, as long as I don't have to pay for it. So they'd done an x-ray, and after they came back, there was nothing wrong with those two teeth. Those two teeth are solid. They don't need root canals. They don't need crowns. Now, what does faith do? See, Jesus said in His Word, if you have faith with no doubt in your heart, He said, nothing shall be impossible with you. Well, that tells me where my faith is sometimes. Sometimes I can have great faith for some things. Like Susan said a while ago, when I pray for people with back injuries, I don't know, maybe it's because I had so many of those over the years and I got so miraculously healed myself and I know what's available from the King. And I, when I pray for somebody in faith, I believe with all my heart with a back problem, you're going to be healed. And that's why I've been able to pray the prayer of faith for people over the telephone and everything else for anywhere from just a back pain to a broken back and see God instantly heal it virtually every time. It's awesome to see God do those kind of things. But He promised us He would when we step into faith. But, you know, faith is something that so few people ever develop. And it's taken me most of a lifetime to get there. But... I'm not where I want to be. I want to be way on out yonder. You know, so uh, I keep hearing people call in and say, if I could just get where you are, how long did it take you to get here? I said, well, 30, 40 years, I guess. You know, and lots of years, 10 years of dedicated study, and then continuing another 30 years. So I'm where I am because of that. So, but, you know, they said, well, if it takes me, takes you 30 or 40 years, can I get there quicker? I said, sure you can. You can listen to my teaching and take the things I've learned and I teach them to you and you can probably get there in 10. You know, you can get there a whole lot quicker than me. But I said, in 10 years, they said, well, I'll be where you are in 10 years. I said, yeah, in 10 years now, I'm going to be way on out in front of where you are because I ain't going to stop rowing up this stream. Are we, Tom? No, we're going to keep on going. We don't want to stop and step still. We ain't happy. I ain't never happy where I am. 
I want to go on with Jesus. I want to know more about Jesus. You know, I could never be happy with anything I have in Jesus. I mean, satisfied. I want to know more. Just like Paul said, he said, I just want to know Jesus Him crucified. I just want to know His power. I want to move forward with Jesus. Well, that's the way we need to do. Now then, last week we talked about something from the King James Bible about in First uh, Corinthians 5 about Paul talking about spiritual pride and these terrible sins that happened in the church and about us judging people in the church. Now, all of it, like I said last week, everybody's heard this old cliche, judge not lest you be judged. Haven't we? I mean, you run into even a Christian and you see them doing something wrong and you confront them with it. Usually, if there's any scripture they do know, and they won't know where it's found, but they will say, now look, don't you judge me lest you be judged. Well, now, if you've already judged yourself and you're walking obedience to the Lord, you're okay. You're safe. Now, if you haven't judged yourself and straightened your act up, you're in trouble. Because if you don't judge yourself, God's going to judge you. And, you know, He's going to judge us anyway, but we want to make sure we judge ourselves. Now, of course... In that scripture of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read clearly there about how upset Paul was about the sexual immorality that was in the church and how he wanted to kick this guy out of the church and how he wanted to turn this man over to Satan for destruction of the flesh. Now then, the thing about it is, most people don't see the reality of why Paul wanted to do that. Because he tells us in the Scripture that he wants to kick this man out of church and turn him over to Satan for destruction of his flesh. In other words, he wants the devil to kill this guy. And somebody says, why in the world would Paul want the devil to kill this guy? Well, at the place where he is right now, the Scripture says, if he dies right there, that in the judgment at the end of the age, his soul will still be saved. Now, does everybody want to go to heaven? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Even if you had to be a street sweeper in heaven, it would be better than being a general in hell, right? I don't want to be a street sweeper in heaven either. You know, I don't want to do after what Jesus did for you and me. I mean, I mean, I cannot fathom the fact of Jesus dying on the cross, bearing all of my sins and all the stuff, and I live 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth and say I'm a Christian from the time I was 11, and then when I get to heaven one day, he says, welcome in, son, but you don't get any rewards because you didn't do a thing for me on earth. How would you like to be with that bunch of Christians? Not me. I mean, after the price he paid for me, I was bought with a price, wasn't you, Keith? And that price wasn't a little bitty price, was it? It was an awesome price, and so obviously you're worth a whole lot to the king. So if you're worth that much, you and I are worth that much to Him, we ought to at least do something for Him while we're here, right? Absolutely. That's the way I look at it too. You know, I look at it like that. But Paul wanted this man destroyed. He wanted him turned over to the devil, and he wanted the devil to kill his flesh. Now then, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been in a church anywhere that had people that were living sexually immoral in the church? Almost everybody's hand goes up. Okay. Let me ask you another question. 
How many of you have ever seen 1 Corinthians chapter 5 acted upon in the church? Anybody ever seen somebody that had a meeting and they cast out the, the, the person out of the church and turn them over to the devil for destruction of the flesh? We don't do, wonder why we don't do that. I guess because we don't know the Word, right? We don't know what it says. But we get the point clear when you read this that Paul does not want people that are sexually immoral in the church. You're supposed to be clean and clear and pure and holy once you get washed. Now, he tells them, you know, that many of you were these kind of bad people. But now you've been washed. So now then you're supposed to change. Now then, we, go, we went into great detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 last week and talking about all those things and about how Paul said, when I wrote you this first letter. Now, of course, now here's another thing that we usually don't pick up on, or I didn't at first for a long time. This is 1 Corinthians I'm reading out of. So to me, this is the first letter. Does that make sense? 1 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians. But Paul said, in my previous letter to you. So he wrote another letter to the Corinthians. We later find out he wrote another one besides 2 Corinthians. So we know that there was at least four letters to the Corinthians. But we only got two of them. From studying other men's writings that have read about these things, they say 1 Corinthians was really 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians was really 4 Corinthians. They said number one and number three, they wouldn't let into the canon. And I've heard some men say the reason they didn't, because the language Paul put in them was so strong, they didn't want it in there. Wow. He got pretty strong with you right here. In First Corinthians chapter 5, he's saying, you know, he's really reading the church the riot act. You know, how you're puffed up and you ought to be ashamed. You know, I mean, he's telling you that, you know, I can't believe, you know, you're in spiritual pride about this man living in the church and he has his father's wife and living with her in sin. He said, brother, you should have been mourned and you should have went to this person and all the things he said we should do. But we didn't do it. But he says, now, in my other letter, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about the unbelievers who in uh, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, who are greedy or swindlers or idol worshippers. For he says I'm talking about the believers. He said if I was talking about the unbelievers, you'd have to leave the world. He said, because out here, people, they just... people. Do you know anybody in the world that lives in sin? Most of them, don't they? I mean, you know, I mean, I can remember when I was raised up as a young person. I mean, you never, ever, ever heard somebody say, I'm living with somebody and I'm not married to them. You never heard that. That was not something that was talked about. In fact, in the little tiny town that I, of a couple of thousand people that I was raised up in, there was only like 25 people in my Sunday school class, my Sunday school class, in my high school class, 
25 people, and virtually all 25 of them had the same mother and father their whole life. There was no divorces, nothing like this, and it, there was no such thing as adultery or fornication. If it happened, I never heard about it. Never. But today, I mean, people just live with each other and talk about it. It's not a big deal. Oh, yeah, you hear people all the time, oh, my, 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 my girl, my girlfriend I'm living with, or my boyfriend I'm living with. That's just the normal way people talk. And the reason we talk about that is because we, have, we, the church, have become so dead to sin, we don't even talk about it. So it's happening in the church. In fact, uh, right after Cheryl and I got married, there was a couple lived over there close to where she did, and they went to a big church here in the Metroplex, and they were not married. They were living together right, right there close to where she lived. Obviously, obviously, their pastor is not teaching that sexual sin is wrong. I don't know what he's teaching, but there's something they're not getting through because they felt totally comfortable going to church every Sunday and living together in sin. But good grief, I see that everywhere. But if you profess to be a Christian, Paul told us we're to turn those people over to the devil for destruction of the flesh. Did he not? It must be important to God, right, Elder? Now, it was important to Paul, too, because he didn't want that person to die and go to hell. Because do you know, with what these Scriptures teach, and we're going to see some of this today, if you are a Christian and you're living in sin, and you continue to live in that sin, the Scripture says you'll have no part in the kingdom of God. That's scary, isn't it? That kind of goes against what I was taught all my life, once saved, always saved. I think that's the biggest devil-sent thing in the church today. I mean, I, I was raised up in churches that taught that, and I believed that until I started reading this book on my own. And then when I started reading this book on my own, that did not line up with what's written in the Word of God. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, as we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 6 now and talk about it today, I ask you to reveal to us the truth of your Word, exactly what you want us to know. Reveal to us everything we need to know from your Word. And, Father, we ask you to lock it into our hearts and our minds that we will not forget it. So we'll remember these things. So we'll walk holy in your presence. And Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, last week we talked in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 about sexual immorality and all those other things about swindlers and greedy people and uh, idol worshipers and all those things. But today, we're going to talk about Something that happens so often in the church. And it's lawsuits. Lawsuits. And making decisions between two people in church. And this is what amazes me. In First Corinthians chapter 6, today I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. Last week I taught out of the King James, but this week I'm going to read out of the NLT. It says in chapter 6, when you have something against another Christian, this is not talking about the world. This is when you have something against another Christian. Why do you file a lawsuit 
and ask a secular court to decide the matter. Now, you get two Christians that's got a problem. If we're in church together, why in the world would two men or a man and a woman or whatever in church have to go to a unbelieving council or court for some kind of counseling or some kind of decision making? I don't know about you. I don't want the world and a lost guy to make any kind of decision for me. If I can't find a man of God that can help me, then forget it. We'll just forget the whole deal. Somebody says, what if it costs you money? I'll tell you. One time, I had a man that owed me $80,000. I'd finance, I'd owner finance my home to him. And he'd made payments on it for two or three years. And then his business went sour because he wasn't serving God. He got out of church. He wasn't tithing. And... For a year, I carried him. Didn't make no payments, not at all, for over a year. I talked to him a few times in that. One day I went over and sat down with him and I told him, I said, Brother, you tell me you're a Christian. I said, Have you got out of church? He said, Well, Thurman, I just, I just can't seem to have the time to go to church. I said, That's what I thought. I said, So you're not going to church, so you're not tithing either, are you? He said, No, I don't tithe. I said, That's your problem. I said, that's why you can't make it. Your business can't, will not go, and that's why you can't make it. I said, if, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with you. I said, if you will go back to church every Sunday, and you will start tithing off of whatever you have, if you'll do that for, I believe I told him, three months, I said, if God won't bring you back up to a point where you start making my house famous again, I will give you this house. Are you willing to make a venture like that? It's only money, isn't it? It's only money. That's how much I trust my God. My God has never let me fall short. The words that come out of my mouth are directed from this Word, and He's never let me fall short. He's always fulfilled everything I've asked Him to do like that. That man... That day, he prayed with me and asked God to forgive him of his sins and said that he would start going back to church every Sunday and he would start tithing. And in less than the time I told him, his business came back up and he totally, completely paid off that house. He never missed any more payments. Now then, how many of you have got that kind of faith in your God? You know what, the, you know what a lot of people would have done when this guy, which is my Christian brother, can't make his house payments, you know what a lot of us would have done? Would have went down there and filed a suit on him and took that house back from him. If he missed one or two or three payments, you'd have went to a court, you'd have filed a case against him, you'd have foreclosed on the guy, and the guy would have lost the house and you'd have got it back, and you thought you'd really done something great. Do you know you sinned against God when you did that? Because you were not your brother. This guy's your brother. Now, if this guy's a guy of the world, it's a totally different situation. You don't deal with the people of the world like you deal with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But he says, why do you go to a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other Christians to decide who is right? Don't you know what? Look at what he's fixing to say. 
don't you know that someday we Christians are going to judge the world? That's a mouthful, isn't it? You are going to judge the world? That's a little more than the average Christian can stomach. They don't believe that. I read that to a group. I had a Ph.D. and his wife in my Sunday school class in one of the churches I was involved in for a lot of years. And he was a head of a school, but he had a Ph.D. And his wife was a school teacher there. She had a regular degree of some kind. And in a Sunday school class that morning, I read this in 1 Corinthians 6 to them. And I just happened to, after I read all of it, I didn't stop right there. I read all of this, what, what I'm talking about here. And I looked over and I said, what do you think that means? And they both looked at me and said, I have no idea. Well, hey, let's read it again. Let's see if we can get a hold of what it says. Don't you know that someday we Christians are going to judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we Christians will judge angels? It don't just stop with the world. We're going to judge angels. So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disagreements here on earth. That kind of put us to the test, won't it? Don't you know that one day as children of God, you're going to judge the world? You're going to judge angels? The other day, Cheryl had a dream or a vision or something, and she saw a big being of some kind in our house. She's had two or three of those since we've been married. And she was telling me the other day, she walked them off concerned about who this being was. Now, this is the first one she's seen that she didn't scream. The others, when she saw them, she screamed. This one, she didn't scream. So she said, what do you think that was? I said, probably my angel. She said, a great big guy. She said, who was that? I said, probably my angel. She said, are you concerned? I said, not in the least. She said, why? I said, that boy better know that I know that one day I'm going to judge him and he better take good care of me while he's here on this earth. I'm going to be his judge. So I am not the least bit concerned about that boy. He just needs to know he better do a good job while he's here on this earth. Because I'm going to be his judge at the end of the age. And the rewards he's going to get as my angel is going to be determined by how good a job he did on me. And them boys know I've read the Word, so they better be watching over me carefully. Ain't that the way to do it, Benjamin? You're going to judge your angel one day, right? Absolutely. Well, what you want to do, you want, when that angel comes up and he says, Benjamin, I was your angel. I was one of them. Boy, you want to pat that boy on the back and say, you did a good job. Lord, give him a good reward. That's what that boy wants to hear. You're going to judge him. But you're going to judge the world, too. What do you think that means? I'll tell you what I think that means. I think one day when the king of the universe sits on the great white throne, I think we will be there with him. Can you think of an honor? Or maybe you don't want to be there. 
you'll be on his side. You're his child. And there will be things or input you may have to put in about people that you knew on this earth. You will be judging them with the King of kings and the Lord of lords at the day of judgment. You ever think about that? I think we take our position as Christians far too lightly. Wow. So Paul's saying here, you Christians, someday we Christians are going to judge the world. And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we Christians will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disagreements on earth. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why do you go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? Go to a lost judge and expect this lost guy, or sometimes it's a woman now, you expect them to make an intelligent decision for you based around the world and its system. We do that, don't we? Against Christians. You should never do that against a Christian brother. God is telling you here not to do it. Then look what he says. I am saying this to shame you. He's not too proud of us, is he? Isn't there anyone? Isn't there anyone in all the church... Who is wise enough to decide these disagreements or these arguments? In other words, Paul's trying to say, you ought to take some of the least in the church to be able to do this. Maybe get some of these young people over there. Maybe they can. If some of you old guys and gals hadn't got to the point and got to get some of them 10 or 12 year old kids over, let them help you. They can make a decision. That's what he's talking here, isn't he, Keith? I'm saying these things to shame you. That you would dare go to court against a brother or a sister in Christ. Now, he's talking about within the church. You ever seen a church have a split? Oh, boy. Boy. Did we not meet this criteria there, huh? Are we carnal? Yes, we're carnal. But instead of, of, but instead, one Christian sues another Christian right in front of unbelievers. The NLT is just so clear on this. Boy, it says it. It says all this in the King James as well. But the NLT. That's why I decided to teach this today. This is so clear out of the NLT. You can't miss this. But it says the same thing in the King James. To have such lawsuits at all is a real defeat for you as Christians. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? But I ain't going to let him do that to me. I ain't going to let her do that to me. Okay. Why not let yourselves be cheated? After all, it's only money. 
God can replace the money, can't He? But instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong, and you cheat even your own Christian brothers and sisters. You want to know why there's not a whole lot of power in most churches today? Here's one of the reasons right here. People can't get along. We're carnal. Let's know what he says. You don't want to be one of these. It's not, he's not finished yet. He says, don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? How much share are they going to get, Tom? You think he really meant that? If we do wrong, in other words, if we don't repent of our sins and don't change our ways and start walking in the God kind of love as Christians, if we live in these sins that the world is involved in, Paul is telling us here in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Not a little bit of share, but no share. Is that scary? Do you want to have a share in the kingdom? Hey, do you think it would be better to let somebody do something wrong to you just to slough it off and say, okay, forget it? You know? But they owe me $10,000. Forget that. Let them have it. Just say, hey, I turned you over to the Lord. You take that 10000 you cheated me out of and praise God. I ain't going to hold a grudge against you or nothing. I'm just going to let it go. But, you know, now then, I don't have to let you cheat me out of 10000 more. You know? If I know you cheated me out of 10000 that's just like a woman come to me one time. Her husband had committed adultery on her several times. And she found out about it. She said, I could never forgive him. I said, oh, yeah, ma'am, you've got to forgive him. Well, she said, but I said, it's what he did worth you going to hell for. She said, well, absolutely not. I said, then you've got to forgive him. Well, she said, does that mean I have to take him back? I said, no. Don't mean you've got to take him back. I said, you've got to forgive him. But I said, you don't have to trust him. That's a big difference right there, right? I said, now then, if your husband will prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's repented, he's straightened his act up, and he'll start wooing you again and start dating you again and treating you like a lady and not running around on you. Once he proves beyond a shadow of a doubt he's going to be faithful to you, I said, then you can trust him again and take him back. But I said, for a while, kind of watch him like a rattlesnake. You know, kind of, kind of be careful. You know, y'all know where I'm coming from? I mean, I'm telling you, because I know how people live. Yeah, watch him like a rattlesnake. Oh, yeah, honey, I'm sorry. I, I, I committed adultery on you. But it was, yeah, it was five years ago. But he would have never told her if somebody hadn't come and told him, had told her that he did that. He would have never told her. But, and he's thought about doing it a lot of more times since then. But he just didn't want to get caught. But some people are not like that. Some people make a mistake, they repent, and they don't never want to do that again. They realize the mistake they committed, it was a sin, and they don't want to go there, and they ain't never going to be caught in that sin again. I don't care what. But maybe it's five years later when somebody finds out about it. Maybe it's ten years later. Maybe it's twenty years later when they find out about it. And maybe in the twenty years or thirty years, 
maybe they're getting up in that age now, and all of a sudden the man finds out his wife had committed adultery on him 30 years ago, five years into their marriage. They've been married 35 years, say. And now then, he's, she has been completely faithful to him all those past 30 years. Never give him a single reason. And then he finds out about it. He said, I can never forgive you for that. I said, you know, you're stupid. Of course you've got to forgive her. I said, you can even trust her. She did this 30 years ago. Now then, she's crying in tears saying, I'm sorry. I didn't really want you to know this. I'm so sorry that I'd done that 30 years ago. I realized I was wrong. I repented before God 30 years ago. And honey, I've been faithful to you the last 30 years, and I'll be faithful to you till I die. I said, you just forget it and press on. Is that the way you would do that? Sure. Absolutely. How many people do you know that's made mistakes in their life? Every one of us. There's not been any of us that made some kind of a mistake. Sure, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't commit adultery against your mate, but you did something that was wrong. Everybody has sinned. And whenever you get to the point to where you realize, hey, I realize now the importance of walking holy before God. So now then, your wife finds out you did something 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Hey, it's past. Forget it. You know, put it under the bridge. You know, and it, it's, it's just done. But some people can't never forgive. They won't never forgive. And when they don't, they don't realize that when they don't forgive, they're one of those people here. Do you not know that those who do wrong... In other words, if you don't forgive, God commands you to forgive. If you don't forgive, you're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. And I don't care what you do to me. There ain't nothing nobody in this place can do to me that's worth me spending one second in hell for. Not once. I'm going to forgive any of you, all of you, and everybody. I'm going to love you. I don't care what anybody says, what the devil says. I don't care what he whispers in my ear. Like I told him yesterday in healing school, I said, a lot of times a wife will have a problem. And she'll get into uh, upset against her husband for something he done. Who knows what it is? And she mar- start hollering at him and saying, you know, I don't love you anymore or something like that. I said, if a husband walks in under those kind of conditions, he ought to just gently walk up to his wife. And maybe he has to pin her against the wall in the corner. Put his arm around her and pull her up tight and look her in the eye. Kiss her a few times gently and lovingly and kindly and say, you know, but I love you. You know, if you do that. In a little while, she's going to be quiet and gentle. You know that? She's not going to continue to argue and fuss, probably, if you're gentle with her. Don't be rough on her. Be gentle with her. You know, but just love her. You know, just love her. That's what you got to do. But we don't do that. You know, we even go to court and go before unbelievers and we sue one another and have knocked down drag outs. And it happen- what happens in the courts, which I've been through several of these with people, it's divorces between two people that profess to be Christians. And you talk about a knockdown drag out. In fact, Cheryl and I was up in the north somewhere here recently or in the last year or two, whatever it was, and we had a lawyer come to us. We was talking to him. And he said, I used to be a divorce attorney. And he said, one day had this couple that we just couldn't get anything written. Two Christians, supposedly, and they couldn't get their act together. They couldn't decide what they were going to do. And he said, there was so much turmoil, I finally told him, I said, stop right there, hold it. I've got to go in my office and pray about this. 
Now, see, this is supposedly all Christians. He said, I go into my office and I start praying and all of a sudden God speaks to me when he says, Lord, how do I deal with this situation? He said, Lord said, I hate divorce. What, honey? Yeah, no divorce. He hates divorce. No divorce. Wow. So he said, I get back up there and go out there and tell him, I prayed about this and God gave me an answer. He said, no divorce. So he said, you two are going to have to work it out. I can't divorce you. And he said, God wasn't nice and gentle with me either when he said it. No divorce. He planned for this couple to work it out. And so, he said, after that little episode, I completely stopped being a divorce attorney and I, I took on something else. He said, I, can, I could not be a divorce attorney ever again after God spoke to me as audibly and as authoritative as he did that day. No divorce. He said that in the Word, didn't he? Yeah, he's already said that in the Word. But he tells us lots of things in the Word. And if it's written in this book, it's just as authoritative as if you hear it audibly. In fact, according to the Word, it's more authoritative if it's written in the Word than it is if you hear it audibly. This is a more sure word of prophecy, the written Word of the living God. This will never be changed. This is forever settled in heaven. So God has said, He said, Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin and who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. You couldn't be no clearer than that. Boy, that's laying it out, isn't it? So when you see somebody that's a homosexual, and they say, there ain't nothing in the Bible that says I can't be a homosexual. Obviously, they miss this verse. Right? That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can be a homosexual. You can be a greedy person. You can be a swindler. You can do all those things on earth. You better enjoy it while you're here. Because... You're enjoying all of the heaven you're ever going to experience right here. In fact, one day, I, I guess the Lord laid this in my heart. I was talking about some of these things that He laid on my heart. These people that are living like they are, you need to tell them all the heaven they'll ever experience is right here. But He said, these Christians over here that's walking in obedience to my word, this is all the hell they'll ever experience. Same place. Same place. Same earth. Here's two people that's living on earth, and although they may be living in what they consider to be very good. You know, I mean, we got up in a nice place this morning, a beautiful bed, nice and warm in the house, you know, a lot of rain and everything outside, but I'm sure all of y'all did the same thing as I did. You woke up in a nice warm house this morning, or at least I hope you did. You got in your car and you drove... To church today, you had gas in the car, you probably got a little money in your pocket so you can go get something to eat this afternoon or whatever. You really, although you may think you're blessed, this is all the hell you'll ever experience. As far as God's concerned, right now you're experiencing hell. But it ain't too bad, is it? 
is not too bad. But these people over here on this side, that are these people that he just talked about here, he said what they're enjoying right now is all of the heaven they will ever experience. From this, it gets bad. From this, it really gets good for you and me, Tom. We ain't we have we hadn't seen nothing yet. If we think we got it good on this earth, you ain't seen nothing till you are translated out here and step into the kingdom of God. And every time I forget what that doctor's name was that uh had had all these death experiences on his uh uh heart and he's a heart doctor and he's had many people that have died that they've resuscitated. And he used to not be a believer himself. And he said when we'd resuscitate somebody and they'd come back, he said we've had people come back screaming. I was in hell. Do something. I was in the flames of hell. Do something. He said, oh, these people are just hallucinating. It's a medicine we got in them. This is not a real thing. Or somebody else would die and then say, what do you mean bringing me back? I was in heaven. Don't you dare bring me back. I'm in heaven. And he said, I think, what's wrong with these crazy people? He said, then one day I had a guy that come back. He was screaming, Doc, Doc, I've been in hell, please. I've been in the flames of hell. You've got to do something. He said, I've heard this old cliche. You know, we'll just accept Jesus. So he said, okay, I can help you. He said, all you got to do is just ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. This guy ain't even a Christian. I heard this doctor give his testimony myself. He said, the guy said, I don't know how to do that. He said, okay, this is the way you do it. Lord, please come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. He said, I got saved. He said, something happened right there. I don't know what. He said, I didn't know, but said, everything in my life began to change after that. He said, this guy did the same thing. He got saved. He got blessed. He said, I got blessed. He said, little did I know what God was doing, what he had to do to get me saved. Okay, then, you know, here I'm doctor trying to raise a guy up. You know, he's sick. You know how doctor, he's just ecstatic trying to raise this guy up. He's dying. He's a heart specialist. The guy's had a, a car wreck or something, and he's bleeding, and he comes in, and he has a massive heart failure, and this guy, doctor's doing everything in the world, and when he dies and comes back, screaming, he's in hell. Doc, do something. Okay, I want to get this back. Jesus, Lord, he's like, I don't know how to do that, Doc. Will you show me? Okay, this is the way you do it. And he said, bam, and he said, that I got saved. <laughs> and now that he's a great doctor, he's a man of God, he's on fire for Jesus. And I think, God, what you have to do to get us saved? Isn't that amazing? It's so amazing. But with God, what's impossible with God? Nothing. I mean, you know, he just does these things just to show us he's God. I can just ama- I'm just amazed that can you imagine that God won't this doctor save, he won't this guy save. He had to send the devil to kill this guy in a car accident, bring the guy and the guy died on the table, had to give the doctor the knowledge to do all this to get these two people saved. Where all they had to do is just to have to go through all that trauma is just do what God says. Just accept him as Lord and Savior. Wouldn't it be something? But that that's an awesome testimony, that doctor that doctor later wrote a book about all these experiences. I can't think of the name of it. I've got it. But uh, it was about all the people that he's, after that he started recording these experiences. Uh, have you seen that book? Are you, no, you hadn't heard of that? Well, you're shaking your head. I thought maybe you'd seen the book. But anyway, it's a doctor and he wrote this book. about. It's about, about that thick and it talks about the multitudes of people after that, that that would die on his table 
and that he would resuscitate them. And those that would come back screaming they'd been in hell or those that would come back that had been in heaven and said every one of them that had been in heaven when he had resuscitated and they said, what are you doing? I'm back in this body. What are you doing? He said, well, I'm resuscitating. I'm trying to save your life. He said, I don't want to be saved. I was in heaven with God. That's why if we ever get a glimpse of the real thing, you will never want to come back to this place. Never. So that's why whenever we die as Christians, when the Lord takes us home, that's why we ought to rejoice when one of us go home. You know, because we know we're getting to enjoy, if we've been a Christian that served God, that is, we're going to get to enjoy the benefits of our work here on earth. Now, if you didn't serve Him, you know, and you did very little for Him, you may not get uh, anything. You may get home and be like Howard Pittman told us the other day we talked to him. There he was a Baptist preacher, and he showed up at the door of heaven, and God wasn't pleased with him. He said, you didn't do anything for me. <laughs> he said, you did it all for yourself. <laughs> That's what he begged God, please, Lord, let me go back. We sat and talked to Howard for hours, all of us, in a meeting. It was quite an interesting meeting, I must say. A man that's been dead for hours and has had the privilege to make this spiritual walk. And God tell him that he wasn't pleased with him with what he'd done. But yet he was an independent Baptist, or Southern Baptist preacher. So, then he says, he clearly says, those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshippers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves. Thieves? What does God call you if you're not a tither? A thief. Thieves. Greedy people. Drunkards. Abusers and swindlers. That covers a whole bunch of area, doesn't it? None of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. Now he says in the next verse, there was a time when some of you were just like these people. Now, that pretty well fits all of us, doesn't it? Every one of us fit in one of these categories. Maybe two or three or four of them. You know, but hey, we were worldly people. You know, that's just the way we were. But Paul's telling this church here, they were the same way. So, you know, don't feel bad if you happen to be one of those homosexuals or perverts or sexually uh, odd kind of people or whatever you did, you know, a, a swindler, an idolater, a thief or anything else. Hey, don't feel bad. You, you're not in a boat by yourself. These people in the Corinthian church, they met that criteria too. And so, today, it's still the same way. It says, there was a time when some of you were like that, but now your sins have been washed away. Is that good news? My sins and your sins, when we come to Christ, how many of our sins did He wash away when we made Jesus Lord of our life? All of them. What if you committed sins after you got saved? Now you've got to repent of that sin and confess it, right? But will, king, will the king forgive you? Is that good news? Yes, it is. So what we need to find out is, as Christians, we need to not have to go to the Lord every day to confess sin, right? They'll teach a lot of people, will teach, that's okay, just do what you want to all week, and then on Friday or Saturday or before you come to church on Sunday morning, you know, ask God to forgive you all the things you've done this week. But you come to church and you find out that sin is wrong and you're not supposed to do it. 
And you think, well, okay, yeah, I know that, but, you know, I like to sin, so I'll go by and I'll get drunk and wiped out this week, you know, or I'll do this or whatever. And, uh, you know, God will forgive me. But, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that most of us don't know. And I've, I've heard this, I've heard 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26 and on, preached every way in the world. No, I hadn't heard it preached every way. I've heard it preached one or two ways. I don't hear it preached on much at all. But that verse says, if you sin willfully after you have the knowledge of the truth, there's no more sacrifice for that sin left. In other words, if you know it's wrong to steal, and next week you go out and steal from your employer. In fact, uh, Fred just had some experiences like that with employees. <laughs> but how many people in business have those kind of experiences and you don't even know what's happening? You didn't know what's happening for a long time, did you, Fred? Long time. But people do this all the time. And some of these people are Christian people or say they're Christians. But yet they're stealing from you. You know, when they steal from you, these people are thieves. And he says, there was a time when some of you were like that and your sins were washed away. But if you stole after you become a Christian, now then you've got to repent, which means stop that nonsense, confess it, and get right with God and if you've been stealing from a man, you've got to get right with him. It's like this woman one time I knew that she could not get her prayers answered. And she went to God and she began to question him. She said, Lord, what is the problem? And he said, you know, you stole $27 or whatever it was from somebody. And he named that person where she used to work. And you were my daughter when you did this. And she thought about it. She said, Lord... I, I took that money, but I really needed that money at the time. He said, but you stole it. You didn't ask. You stole it. So he said, you, you have not confessed that sin. And so she said, Lord, okay, I repent and ask you to forgive me for that sin. He said, okay, I forgive you. Now he said, the money you owe that person, go find them and give it back to them. And he said, by the way, put 10% compound interest on it since you stole it. This woman had not been able to get a prayer answered. She took the money. She figured it up. Had somebody help her figure what the interest would be on $27 for 15 or 20 years, whatever it was. She got all that money together and went to that person and told them what she had done. And the guy said, I, that, that's okay. I no problem. She said, no, no. God said, I've got to give you this money back with interest because I have not been able to get a prayer answered. And when I sought him why, he told me I couldn't because I owed this money. So she gave him the money back, and the man didn't want to take it. But she said, I will not have it anyway except you take it. So he took it, and after that, the woman's prayers started getting answered. You think God keeps good records? You got a question? Which one? Where we're at right here in First Corinthians? You mean right now, or which one? Oh, 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 the, okay. That's in 1 Corinthians. I mean, no, that's in, uh, that's not first. that's Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Yeah, Hebrews 10, 26, yeah. I made comment to that, and then I didn't uh, go there. But Hebrews 10, 26. In fact, somebody turned in your Bible, and I'm going to get a mic. 
you find Hebrews 10, 26, and I want somebody to read that to me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. Fred's already got it, okay? He's got it here. Fred, read Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 or whatever. All right. It says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Whew. That's scary, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Hebrews 6, 4. Whoops. Okay. Hebrews 6, 4. Okay. Ty said turn to Hebrews 6, 4. Somebody turn over there, and maybe Fred get that too. We'll just let him read it too, since he's got it there. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, Fred. Yeah, chapter 6, verse 4, yeah. Here. And that says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. <laughs> now there is two verses right there, two sets of verses that you will virtually never hear priests in church. Let me ask you a question. Many of you are a little bit older. You're not kids. Some of you. Not small children. Let me ask you this question. Those two verses we read, how many of you have heard those pre-stone in a church in your life? Wow! Uh, we got we got two or three around here, but we don't have many. Roxanne, how many times have you heard that priest tell? Okay, it's the only place you've ever heard it here? Okay. But it's in the Bible, isn't it? And it is, is an ouch-ouch, isn't it, Fred? Now then, let me ask you this question. After reading those two verses that we looked up, and most of us know what sin is in the church. But we go ahead and do it anyway. Is there any question in your mind now why some people are sick and afflicted and don't get their prayers answered? I mean, so you said, but God, I repented of that sin. I repented. He said, you repented for that five times, six times. And you went back and done it six times more. And you kept repenting. And there comes a time when he says, you've known the truth now. For, I'm not forgiving you no more. Do you think God would go that far with you? Oh, yeah. But that's scary, isn't it? That's kind of like putting a six-shooter revolver up to your head and putting only one bullet in it out of six and spinning it and just pulling it and saying, well, I hope it don't hit this time. I'll tell you how to not never get hit. Don't ever pull the trigger. Then you don't ever have to worry about getting hit. If you know something is sin, don't do it. Does that make good sense? You know something is sin, don't do it. Because those sets of Scriptures, and Paul here, he's pretty tough. I mean, with what he, there is people today, in the world we live in today, that if I was to read this Scripture, of course, there may be places this tape will go. There will be people that will hear this, and somebody may be sitting and listening in their home. They'll think I'm a hate monger because what I'm saying. You know that? There's people who don't like what I just said right here. The world don't like what I'm saying right here. But I didn't say this. I'm just repeating what the king said through the Apostle Paul. 
So don't, don't come to me. Take it to Jesus. He's the one that put this book together. I didn't. He's the one that will judge you. But he tells us what we're going to do. Then he says here, None of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. But there was a time when some of you were just like that, but now your sins have been washed away and you've been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done for you. So he wants us to stay that way. Now, I'm grateful because if it wasn't for that promise record, could none of us be justified. But because of what Jesus did and the Spirit did, hey, you know, we are washed and clean. Then he says, you may say, and you may know this, you may say, I am allowed to do anything as a Christian. See, Paul tells us we have liberty in Christ, right? But look what he says there. But I reply, not everything is good for you. Now, yeah, you as a Christian can do anything. Can you go out and... Could you go out and get drunk if you want to as a Christian? You think that's going to be good for you? Definitely not. That's right. It's definitely not. And... Okay, so you go out and get drunk and say you get drunk and it, it, it's not good for you there. The next morning you wake up and you're sick and you're throwing up and you don't feel good and you can't go to work and you miss a day's work. It wasn't good for you, was it? But you say, well, well, not a big deal. The guys want to do this. I'll do this every week. You go out and do this every week. Not only will that cause liver failure, all kinds of other parts of your body to fail, but what if you were a habitual drunk all along and all of a sudden one day you said you were a Christian and you died and you stood before the king and he said, hey, right here, you were a drunkard. And I said, none of you drunkards shall have any share in the kingdom of God. So he said, into hell with you. You aren't going to be in heaven. Would that be a pretty severe price to pay for going out with the boys and getting drunk every week? I would think that would be a pretty severe price. Since I read this and he says that's what he'll do, I ain't going to go out and get drunk. It's very easy for me not to go out and get drunk. I'm not going to do that. But he says, and even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Some things will make you a slave to it. Just like how many Christians you know smoke or dip. Or chew. I know a lot of them. So you go out and you smoke. And, okay, so the first time or two you smoke a few cigarettes is not a big deal. They taste awful, they tell me. I know they smell awful when I smell them. I've often wondered, I'd, I'd, I'd hate to be a man that had a wife that dip snuff. (laughs) (laughs) I can assure you she wouldn't get many kisses from me. I'm just sorry, you know, but I ain't going to kiss that nasty thing. You know, I just ain't going to do it. You know, so... I mean, you know, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm free. And if I'm free, I don't have to kiss that. <laughs> so, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to do it. 
And so if if she's free and that's what she wants to do and that's what she does, okay, then she ain't gonna get a whole lot from me. That's all I gotta say. I ain't going there. I think about some of these old grandmothers that I used to see a long time ago. You ever seen one of them die? Like, and he must have because he said, and with no teeth. The old grandmother said there was no teeth with a dip in her mouth, you know. And I think, I wonder why that grandmother and grandpa don't ever kiss each other, you know. I got a feeling I know why. And I don't blame him. But, you know, with smoking a cigarette, the enemy, that's just a way the devil will get through to you. A young person today, so many young people, the devil will entice them to try you know, because they advertise it highly, you know, football boys, you know. You can't be a big football player if you don't dip. You know, you got to have that out there in your mouth, you know. You know, you know what I mean. So, naturally, the young kids want those guys as their examples. Well, I don't want to be an example like that. You know, I, I, I want to be an example of Christ to the young people. I want them to desire him because they see me walk with him. I, d- I don't want them to go out and dip or smoke or something because I know they're free to do that if they want to, but I know what that brings into their life. I know it brings sickness, disease, cancer, and all kinds of bad things. And so I don't want people to go there because of me. I don't want to be the example. That's why I don't drink. That's why I don't smoke. I mean, even last year when we were in Germany, a lot of people, lot of people drink wine, and the German people drink wine and beer and everything. So they, one of the evening meals, they set a glass of wine in front of Cheryl and I. She looked at me and said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "Well, I guess I'll drink it." You know, so we blessed it every way we knew how. <laughs> and I took a little sip of it, and it was awful. I blessed it again. <laughs> <laughs> and I took another little sip, and it was awful. I said, okay, Lord, I'll just have to tell them I didn't drink my wine. And so when they said, would you like some, well, you didn't drink your wine. I said, no. I said, uh, I really don't like it. I tried it, but I said, it tastes so awful to me. And anything that tastes that bad to me, I just can't drink it. You know, so I didn't drink it. And I said, I don't want to offend y'all, but I, I'm not a drinker, never have been. And I said, so I just can't drink it. Now, I'm free to drink that glass of wine with him if I wanted to, but it did taste awful. And so, I feel like if it tastes that bad, you know, why drink it? So, that must be God telling me, you know, I, that he doesn't want me to drink it. Can, can, you ever, can you think of a single experience in the Word of God where He sent a man out as a prophet or whatever and said, wine is to never touch your lips? Mm-hmm. Did God ever do that to a person? Sure He did. We don't, who did He do that to? John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He said, you're not to ever have any wine in your body at all. But I see Jesus come on the scene. He could drink wine. But John the Baptist couldn't. So see, God fixes some people to drink it and some people not. So you have the freedom, if you want to drink a glass of wine at dinner tonight, hey, I have no problem with that. If you like it, enjoy it, drink a glass of wine. But he does say not to get drunk on it. You know, so don't you go out and get drunk on it. Drink one glass, for, just like drinking a glass of tea or a glass of Coke or anything, whatever you drink, whatever you drink, make sure you bless it. Make sure you bless it. And so, then you'll have a whole lot less problems. But then he says, I must not... 
become a slave to anything, you say food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true. Though someday God will do away with both of them. Both the stomach and the food. He's going to do away with all of it. But our bodies were not made for sexual immorality. Our bodies are not made for sexual immorality. They were made for who? For the Lord. These bodies are made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise our bodies from the dead by His marvelous power, just as He raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? It's hard for me to remember that 24-7. That my body don't belong to me, it belongs to the King. And I'm supposed to take care of this thing. Well, this morning, I thought this suit I haven't worn in a while. And this is one of the snuggest fitting suits I have. But this morning, it was a little extra snug. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean? That must mean I have added a quarter of an inch somewhere. So, you know what I'm going to do this week? I'm going to not eat quite so much, and I'm going to do a little more exercise. And the next time I put this suit on, I expect it not to be snug. You know, I'm going to take care of this flesh, because God cares what I do with this body. He cares. He wants me to keep this body in good shape, because this body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Him. And he tells me to take care of it. He cares about everything, even what I put in my stomach. And he said, and he sh- should a man take his body, which belongs to Christ, and join it to a prostitute? What is the answer there? Never. No. Right, Tom? Never. And don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the Scripture says the two will be melted or united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord becomes one person with Him. There's only one time sex between a man and a woman is legal. Paul tells us that the marriage bed is undefiled. God made a man a man and a woman a woman, and when He put a man and a woman together in marriage, now then the marriage bed is undefiled. As long as you're clean and pure, don't do some crazy things now. Don't start thinking you can do just anything you want to do. I've had women... Come talk to me about their husband wants to do all kinds of stupid things in the marriage bed. And I say, you need to send your husband over here. You need to let me talk to him. I think when a man and a woman goes to bed together, anything they do in that marriage bed 
if they looked up and Jesus is standing there watching them, if they think, this glorifies God, I'm free to do this. Don't you? But you know, most people, if you just walk in a shower and you had no clothes on, even if it was Jesus was in there with you and you saw him, you would feel embarrassed. You know that? But he's in there with you all the time anyway. You've got to realize that the king's in here with you. That's why you need to do everything to bring glory and honor to Jesus. Don't do nothing that would embarrass you in front of the king. Treat your body like it belongs to him because it does. He said if you abuse your body sexually, what well, he said out there, he goes so far as to say he will destroy your body. And I've seen him do that on a few people that moved in with somebody or committed sexual immorality. He's merciful and gracious, and he doesn't do that usually instantly. Usually he gives them a time to repent. But if you don't repent, then he kills your body. And who knows where he might send you. I don't want to get caught in that sin. Do you? No. I'd rather repent of everything, let him wash me in the blood, walk holy before him, and then I can guarantee you, if you walk holy before God and stand His Word and you believe Him, guarantee you get to go to heaven when you die. And that's where I want to go, don't you? That's where we're going. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank You and praise You for this beautiful day. We thank You for this beautiful rain You sent. We thank You for Your Word, because Your Word tells us what You like and what You don't like. Your Word tells us what You will do and what You won't do. And Lord, today, it don't matter what the world says. We know Your Word is true. And so we're going to walk holy and obedient to Your Word. We're going to do what You say. And this week, Lord, we're going to walk holy and obedient to Your Word. We're going to walk in love to all people. And we're not going to walk in any kind of known sin. And Lord, if there's any kind of sin that we are involved in that we don't know is sin, we ask the Holy Spirit to convict us of that sin and let us know that what we're doing is sin. And that we will stop it and repent and we won't do it again. We want to walk holy and obedient to Your Word. Because we want to be your children and we want to glorify you in all that we do. And we give you all the praise and glory and honor. Because you're our King and our Lord. And we belong to you. And so we want to glorify you in our bodies. So we can have a long, healthy life. Thank you, Father, for your promises. Bless us this week as we go forth. In Jesus' name, amen.